like to welcome everybody out tonight, and uh, we're in session number eight. If I get some help back there and close those back doors, I'd appreciate that. And uh, let's open up in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. I pray, Father, that you would open our minds, our hearts to understand your word by the power of your Holy Spirit. We seek to know you, uh, the one true God and Jesus whom you have sent. May we be branches tonight that are totally forever connected to the vine. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Is he who he says he is? That's been the whole question now. This is the eighth session. All of it began with this scripture. I've read it every week. I'll read it again tonight. John 8, 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming, Jesus said. He saw it. And he was glad. And the people said, Jesus, you aren't even 50 years old. How can you say you've seen Abraham? There's no way. And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. At that point, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus was hidden. And he left the temple. Is Jesus who he says he is? Is it possible that this man, Jesus, was before Abraham? Is it possible? Because they picked up stones to stone him because they thought it is impossible for you to be who you say you are. So that's the foundation. And after that foundation was laid, when I came to the conclusion, I started studying the Gospel of John and saw seven times in the Gospel of John in which Jesus reveals, I am. He's not just said, before Abraham was born, I am. Then he does seven different announcements of, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I'm the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, truth, and life. And tonight is the last of the I am statements. There are seven in the Gospel of John. I am the vine. So let's look at the final of the seven I am statements in John. I am the true grapevine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. Now, how many of y'all think that's a sobering sentence? Because I think it is a sobering sentence. What? Your daddy cuts off all the branches that don't bear fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they'll produce even more fruit. You have already been pruned. Now, he's talking to his followers. You've been pruned and purified. What was it that pruned and purified them? By the word, by the message that I have given you. Remain in me. Here comes the message. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You people are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be what, church? To be burned. That doesn't sound very good either. 
But if you remain in me, and I, want you to, I don't want you to miss verse 7, because there's, inside of verse 7 is this spiritual truth. But if you remain in me and my words, why does he bring up the words? If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want. And it'd be granted. And when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to the gardener, to my father. Perhaps it's fitting that our final session in the I Am series, before we change to the final sessions, there'll be four of them, in which we'll deal specifically with I will rather than I am. It'll be I am and I will would be about what? The final session of the seven in the gospel of John deals specifically with remain. Remain in me. Remain connected to me. You bunch of branches, you got to remain connected to the vine. Last week, Jesus revealed the way to the father's house. I am the way, he said. I'm the truth. I'm the life. We've established and celebrated that he is the way. What is the way? And this is really important before we move on tonight. Because number six and number seven have this connection. The way to the Father's house is simply Christ in me. You're not going to get to the Father's house with Christ on the outside of you. He's got to be inside of you. He said, I am the way. The Spirit is in us. I think I used the analogy last week, uh, the, the parable of the ten bridesmaids. He's the oil in the lamp. He's the oil in the lamp. If you didn't have enough oil in your lamp, when the door opened, you don't go in. He's the oil in, in the lamp. Not on the outside of the lamp, not on the shelf beside the lamp. He's the oil inside the lamp. He is the way. We've established and celebrated the fact that Jesus is the I am. And now this final question, at least in my mind, when I read this, number seven, revelation is this. Will you remain in me? Will you remain in the I am? And here's the reason I asked the question. What about distractions? Anybody got any? Anybody got any other things pulling your attention in other directions? Any other things competing for this connection to the I am? Is there any other force in the universe that's trying to pull you away from this abiding connection to the I am? Quite frankly, everything is. And let's take it a step further. What about uh, suffering? What about when somebody you love dies? Or there's a question or an issue that happens in your life that quite frankly doesn't make any sense to you at all. Will you still uh, abide, remain in the I am then when it doesn't make any sense? So you've got these distractions of life trying to pull you away from this, what? Abide in me, remain in me. I'm the vine, you're a branch. You're never going to produce anything in your life matters anything at all unless you're connected to me. But then the world pulls me away. And then this stuff happens in my life, and I don't even understand that. And on top of that, let's add a third category. What happens if people who are connected to the I am begin receiving persecution? Opposition from the government, opposition from workplace, schools. Oh, you can't bring that stuff in here. 
You, you can't talk. Don't say that name in here. Would you still remain? Would you still abide? Some translations use the word remain. Others use the word abide. So I looked up the Greek word to try to get some insight. And, and um, most of them come down to this, this translation of the definition. We use the word abide, which is a primary verb, which is to, to stay. To find a given place. And here's the connection branch and vine. To find a place and stay there. Irregardless of the opposition, irregardless of the trouble that you might face while you happen to be there, stay there. Stay there. And it also is expectancy. This abiding is based upon an expectancy. Now, this brings up something, and I don't know how many of you read this and come to this question, but it, I need to address it. I thought about not getting into it, and I thought, no, I need to just go on and get into it. There is a doctrinal issue that some people respectfully disagree with, and it's highlighted by this particular section. The issue is the doctrine of once saved, always saved. So let me, let me clarify why this is an issue. There are people that say that you cannot stop abiding. You cannot remove yourself as a branch from the vine. That once you connect to the vine, you are connected to the vine. And doesn't matter what you do, you cannot be disconnected from the vine. Now, now listen, those, a lot of those people that say that are good friends of mine. We respectfully disagree. We just respectfully disagree. And it becomes this word game. Because um, in this story, Jesus obviously says that the challenge is to remain. Well, if it's impossible to not remain, why does he challenge me to remain? So the issue of that it doesn't matter what I do, I can't disconnect from the vine, I have a hard time with when you read the scripture, not just here, but quite frankly, a lot of places. So here's how the other side, some very dear friends of mine explain it. They would explain, I would say, well, the Holy Spirit gave me free will. The Holy Spirit revealed the truth made a place for me on the vine. I'm a branch, so I come and make this. He draws me, the Holy Spirit, God draws me as a branch to the vine. We become connected. We, we become connected. The same free will that I exercise to connect my life to the vine, I retain that same free will after I have connected to the vine. So the free will has not vanished from my life. I had free will to, to hear and receive the word and to take my branch and connect it to that vine. Okay. I retain that free will after the connection. So if down the road I decided to not believe that the vine is worth being connected to, I could walk away. Now, I don't think that's a, a simple thing. I don't think it's a... You're saved on Monday and lost on Tuesday and back on Friday. I think that's foolishness. But prolonged unbelief can disconnect a person from the vine. Jesus' whole point is, don't let that happen to you. If it's not possible, why does he make such a big deal out of abiding, 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 if it doesn't, if you can't unabide? 
if that's even a word. So here's the other argument. The other argument people I have great little respect for say to me, what it really means is they were never really connected in the first place. And then I say, but you told them they were. And now you're responsible because you told them they were saved. Well, they weren't really saved. And what proved they weren't really saved is that they've walked away from the vine. Well, then now you're complicit because in that moment you told them they were saved. So there's no way to reconcile the two points. I can just tell you clearly that my position on this is simply what it says. Abide. I believe that you and I, even right now, retain the free will to unabide. To stop abiding. To allow those distractions or those questions in life that I don't have any answers for. Or suffering. Or hardship. Or persecution. To pull Terry Cooper away from that vine. Unless I resolve myself by the power of the Holy Spirit to hang on, to hang on. So I'm done with the doctrinal issue. There you go. Let's move on. Jesus in John 15 describes the connection of life. So I want you to get this. You're not going to get the rest if you miss this. That branch hooking to that vine is life. This is not about vegetation. This is your life. You're, you're going to die. Spiritually, you're going to die disconnected from that vine. This is life. It is the source of life. When he reveals himself as the I am, he is life. So just think about the fact, what did you just do when you disconnected yourself from the vine? You disconnected yourself from life. You gave up eternal life. You gave it up. You surrendered it. You were deceived. You didn't know you did it. That's why he's a deceiver. Jesus not only describes the connection of life by abiding, but the I am also describes the consequences. Jesus describes the consequences of disconnecting yourself from the vine. Well, what does it say? Now, I'll get into it a little bit more. The branches, if, if you disconnect yourself, if you're a branch and we're all branches, he's the only vine. If we disconnect ourselves from the vine, one day they're going to gather up all those branches, disconnected branches. They're going to gather them up and burn them. Now, do I have to tell you what that means? They're going to gather them up and burn them. That's Jesus telling you that. So tonight, we're going to take a little different turn. At least it's from my perspective. Probably not how most people would deal with this text. We can talk about vines and we can talk about branches and I could get into grapes and all that stuff and I could do all that. But that's not really what he's trying to tell us here. I want to go to what I believe he's trying to communicate Jesus, the vine, is holy. Here's where I want to go. This vine that God planted in Jerusalem is perfect. It's perfect. It's perfectly holy. Perfectly holy. I want you to know something. No matter what happens in this world, that vine's perfect. Without flaw, perfection, holiness. Now, that settles the vine issue. What about the branches? 
the branches are all messed up us. All right? This is important. We need to understand that these branches are not holy. They're not even close to being holy. But the branches are all going to die without the vine. All the branches, all the branches are messed up branches. So here's the question. What happens when the unholy branches connect and abide to the absolute holy vine? What happens? Do you think the holy will tend to become unholy with this connection? Now, we admit that we're all sinners. We're the branches in the Jesus story, and we're all messed up unholy branches. What do you think is going to happen when the messed up unholy branches make this one union, to become one union with the vine. Do you think the holy will tend to become unholy with this connection? Or will the unholy become holy? What should happen? I want to play that little Jeopardy tune right about now. What should happen? The I am vine is absolute holiness. Life flows from his holiness. And when holiness fills the followers of Jesus, there is no hindrance or limitation to hearing his will, obeying his will, or God accomplishing his will through his people, the church. In other words, when this connection takes place, when the holy is connected to the unholy, everything that limits the flow of holiness becomes unhindered, becomes unhindered. And that's why he says, you will bear fruit. It doesn't say you might bear fruit on a lucky year. He says, you're going to bear fruit. Why? Because this vine's perfect. And anything connected to this perfect vine's going to make fruit. So I'm going to repeat verse 5. Jesus said, yes, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me. Now, what's the condition? What's the condition? You must be connected. You can't be hanging out next to him. Doesn't work. You can't say, I know where the vine's at. That doesn't work. You're connected to the vine. Those who remain in me, and notice the second one, and I in them. That's this. And the two shall become one. You ever wonder why in the New Testament the the bride... The church is referred to as the bride because it's this picture of husband, wife, oneness, church, bride, church, bridegroom, oneness, two become one. They become one. Those who remain in me and I and them are going to do something. You'll produce much fruit. Apart from me, you're not going to make any fruit. Holiness in the lives of God's people is a sign. It is evidence of the presence of the I am. Now, you got to get this or I can't go on. Every vine, every branch that is connected to this vine is going to bear fruit. You could say, but my branch is all messed up. Okay, all of our branches are messed up. It's not the branch that bears the fruit. We'll never bear any fruit. To say that you as a branch can't bear fruit is to be a claim against the vine. And that vine's perfect. He can do anything that vine can. 
The abiding presence of God, and let's kind of place that as the oil in our lamps. What does it do? He says, abide, abide, abide. If you remain, if you remain, if you will bear much fruit. So what is this abiding presence of God? What does it do? It instructs and corrects believers through his Holy Spirit who daily seeks to transform us into the likeness of the I am. In other words, this, the longer the branch is connected to the vine, the more the branch starts to take on the characteristics of the vine. You start to become like the vine and you start carrying out the mission of the vine. Because what? Because you've become one with the vine. That's what it is to be abiding. It's logical that if you remain in the I am, you'll become increasingly like the I am, right? So let's go to 2 Corinthians and see if the Word of God backs that up. 2 Corinthians 3.16. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, and let's just say it's a branch that now connects himself to the vine. Whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil's taken away. What's the veil? The veil is what separates the presence of God from us branches, right? The veil's taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So all of us who have had the veil removed can see. Okay, I can see. And now I can reflect the glory of the Lord, and the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him. So the more I'm connected to Him, the makes us, makes He, I don't make me more and more like Him. He makes me more and more like Him. And we are, listen, we are changed into His glorious image. This is a bunch of messed up branches we're talking about. We're changed into His glorious image. How? What? Well, the veils are removed. No, no. How? You about Our unholiness, listen, I, I love this part. Our unholiness doesn't make the I am less holy. It can't happen. It's not possible. This connection changes me. It doesn't change him. And we're all messed up branches, but our messed up lives don't make him less holy, less perfect, less fruitful, less able, less anything. You know who changes? It's not him. You know who changes? Me. You know why? Because he's not being made more and more like Terry Cooper when I abide. Terry Cooper's being made more and more like Jesus. You got to get this part. So what's, what's this abiding doing? It's changing you. And what if you don't abide? You're going to remain a messed up branch. And you'll die. And they'll one day gather you and put you in a fire. That doesn't sound very good. In John 15, Jesus will soon depart and the church age will begin. When Jesus tells this story about the vine and the branches, he's going to die on the cross, go to the right hand of the Father. Day of Pentecost is going to come and the church is going to begin. The church age, listen. This is so important to all of us. The church age will totally operate on the vine and branch principle. Why? Because it's how he does it. It will totally operate. So I'm going to repeat verse 5 again. 
Yes, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. Who do you think he's talking to? The church. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The only way the church is going to produce anything in this world we live in is we abide in him. Only by remaining or abiding in Jesus are we able to produce any fruit, any eternal results for the kingdom of the I am. This is how we're going to bring glory to the gardener. This is how we're going to bring glory to the Father. What? By abiding in the vine, and the vine has a plan. The vine is not interesting in, interested in the branches plan. Anybody hear me? The vine is, he does not care what my plan is. My plan is useless to that vine. His plan is perfect. I will only bear fruit when I yield all of my plans. That's why he says you must deny yourself. I got to get rid of all my agenda and all my plans. Lord, look, vine, look what this branch is going to do for you. I am going to bear some fruit. He's not interested in me bearing my fruit. He wants me to deny myself, my agenda, my hopes, my dreams, my future, come to the cross, lay down, hook to that vine, and let his agenda flow in. And that fruit gives glory to the Father. You know who the other fruit gives glory to? Me. You know which fruit gives glory to the Father? The vine. Only in remaining and abiding in Jesus are we able to produce fruit. In the Old Testament, God's people were often referred to as a vineyard. What are we talking about? Vines and branches. They were referred to as a vineyard. However, they were not always referred to as a fruitful vineyard. And that's what got Israel in trouble. So let's go back to Hosea, Old Testament. The people of Israel are struck down. Their roots are dried up and they will bear no more fruit. Uh-oh, that's not good. Their roots are dried up. Where does this flow come from? It comes from the roots. Are the branches connected to the roots? No, the branches are connected to the vine. The vine gets its source from the roots. Their roots are dried up, and they'll bear no more fruit. And if they give birth, I will slaughter their beloved children. There's severe consequences to this drying up, unfruitful existence. And if they give birth, I'll slaughter their beloved children. My God will reject the people of Israel because they will not listen. They will not obey. Listen and obey what? If you abide in me, and I in you, and in my word, and in my word. And in my word, and in my word. They will not listen. They will be wanderers, homeless among the nations. Well, if you study the Old Testament, that's kind of what happened. A branch without fruit is useless to the gardener. The prophet Isaiah refers to Israel as a disappointing investment by the gardener. Let me read it to you. Isaiah 5 verse 1. Now I will sing for the one I love a song about the vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a rich and fertile hill. He plowed the land, cleared the stones, and planted it with the best vines. In the middle, he built a watchtower and carved a wine press in the nearby rocks. 
And then he waited for a harvest of sweet grapes. But the grapes that grew were bitter. Now, you people of Jerusalem and Judah, you judge between me, God, and my vineyard, Israel. You judge. What more could I have done for my vineyard than I have already done? When I expected sweet grapes, why did my vineyard, this is God, the gardener, Israel or Judah, the vineyard, when I expected sweet grapes, why did my vineyard give me bitter grapes? Now, let me tell you what I will do with my vineyard. No, no stop, stop, stop. Do you think it's just, well, you know, the just grapes aren't good this year. You know, things happen. Sometimes you don't get good grapes. It's dry here. This is God calling a people his vineyard. Do you think, he, what's he going to do? Well, let me read it to you. Now, let me tell you what I will do with my vineyard. I will tear down its hedges and let it be destroyed. I will break down its walls and let the animals trample it. Who's I in here? Who's the I? It's God. He's the gardener. He's in charge. I will make it a wild place where the vines are not pruned and the ground is not hoed, a place overgrown with briars and thorns, and I will command the clouds to drop no more rain on it. Anybody, it sounds like the vineyard's being abandoned. He's going to let them go. You don't want to abide in me. You don't want to be connected to me. I'll let you go. You want to go? Go. It's going to get rough when you go, but I'll let you go. Verse 7, in case you're curious about the interpretation, the nation of Israel is the vineyard of the Lord of heaven's armies. So you don't have to guess who he's talking to, do you? The nation of Israel is the vineyard of the Lord of heaven's armies. The people of Judah are his pleasant garden. You know what he wanted from those people? Sweet grapes. He expected a crop of justice, but instead he found depression. He expected to find righteousness, but instead he heard cries of violence. The gardener, that's God, expected justice. He didn't get any. That's what sweet grapes look like to God, justice. The gardener expected righteousness and holiness. That's what sweet grapes to God look like. He got violence. Now, here's important. When I read this, I need to make sure you understand. Did the church replace Israel? No, no. However, the church is repeating the calamity of Israel. We didn't replace them, but we're repeating the calamity. Do you think God, the gardener, expects some sweet grapes from his church? Yes. What do you think he's going to do if he doesn't get them? He's already told us. You won't be able to say, I didn't know. He said, they're going to, any, vine, any branch that doesn't produce sweet fruit, he's going to gather them up, throw them in a the fire. Well, he wouldn't really do that. Really? Well, let's see. Let's keep going. The gardener, God the Father, planted a vineyard, the church. Do you think he planted us? Yeah, he did. He planted the church by placing the most costly vine ever known to mankind. This vine is perfect. And he planted him on a hill in Jerusalem on a cross. 
And all who connect to this vine will bear sweet grapes of holiness and righteousness for the gardener. Not by the law, but by the abiding presence of Christ. What's the difference between Old Testament and New Testament? The Old Testament was under the law. Nobody could meet it. We're not under the law. What are we under? This. We're under the abiding presence. I am in you and you are in me. And because I'm in you and you are in me, we are in the Father. And you will bear fruit. Listen to these words to Israel and to us tonight. I'm going to repeat verse 4, Isaiah chapter 5. What more could I have done? Have you read the Old Testament? Yeah, guys, I mean, I've studied the Old Testament. And I say, well, when God says, what more could I have done? I'd say, mm, I don't know. What more could I have done for my vineyard than I've not already done? When I expected sweet grapes, why did my vineyard give me bitter grapes? God gave his, what about today? God gave his very best, his holy, righteous, perfect son to come to start a vineyard. What more could he have done for the vineyard than to die for them? You can't give more than that, can you? Jeremiah describes Israel depart, Israel's departure from this life-giving vine like this. Let's go to Jeremiah 2.20. Long ago, I broke the yoke that oppressed you. Here's God revealing his, his word to Jeremiah. Long ago, I broke the yoke that oppressed you and tore away the chains of your slavery. But still, you Israelites, still you said, I will not serve you. They're rebels. On every hill and under every green tree, you have prostituted yourselves by bowing down to idols. Spiritual adultery, that's what he calls it. But I was the one who planted you, choosing a vine of the purest stock, the very best. How did you grow into this corrupt wild vine? No amount of soap or lye can make you clean. I still see the stain of your guilt, God says to Israel. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. In other words, I still see your sin. When God's people, the church, now let's bring it from the Old Testament to here. When God's people, the church, depart from him, they do not bear the fruit they were set apart and cultivated to bear. Now, I want to tell you, this is prophesied by the Apostle Paul as the fruit of the church in the last days. The Apostle Paul makes it clear that the Antichrist will not be revealed, which I believe is the beginning of the seven-year tribulation. The Antichrist will not be revealed until the church becomes totally apostate, which means totally broken away from the vine, totally in rebellion against the word and the name, totally pulled back, not abiding in this. Can you imagine the church? God planted the church based upon the word, and then the church abandons the very foundation itself? Paul says that will be the last straw before the Antichrist is revealed. And that's when the pruning comes. When the church begins to become apostate, 
when the church starts to deny the word and the name. That's when the pruning comes. So let me ask you all a question. Do you think the church is being pruned today? I do. I do. I'm watching the church being pruned. So let me repeat verse, the first four verses of our original text. Jesus said, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. Every branch of mine. Hmm. That means at some point they had a connection. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't bear fruit. And he prunes. Okay, we've got two categories going on here. One group, he just cuts the branch off. You're done. But there's another branch and they're still connected. Okay. This other branch, they're, they're severed. The, the, the connection is severed. He cuts off those branches. They don't produce any fruit. But he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they can produce even more. You have already, and here comes Jesus. He's looking at his followers, present tense and future tense. You have already been pruned and purified by what? What is it that prunes and purifies the word? The message. What is the word? What is the message? Here it is. The message I have given you. Which one of those groups you want to be in? The branch that's cut off or the one that's pruned? And you've already been pruned and purified. What is it that prunes and purifies us? By the message that I have already given you. Remain in me. And what's his point? Remain in me. What? In the word in the message, remain in me and I'll remain in you for a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me and remain in the word. Now, here, here, here's why. I've talked about this for years now. The word of God prunes. It prunes, it convicts, it cuts, it offends. It does. It cuts deeply. There is no, there's a lot of good books out there. You know, I read some other books. I do, I read, I read stuff. But there is no other book I have ever read that does what this book does when I read it. This book goes inside of me. And Doug Voorhees and I were having a conversation the other day in my office, and I tried to explain it to him. Something God's doing in my heart right now. I know I can't, I can't explain it to you either, but I'm going to give you a shot at it. Here, here we go. I have come to this spiritual conclusion that just by reading this thing out loud, reading this out loud, it releases a spiritual power that you and I have no comprehension of. No, it's so far beyond my comprehension. It's like this past Sunday when I talked about the wind and the spirit. I, I can't tell how the, where the wind's at. I can't tell where the spirit's at. But the spirit of God is in the word of God. And when I read this, it does something on the inside of me that I cannot tell you how it does it. But just saying it. That's why, you know, I use a lot of scripture. Some people criticize me and say, you use too much scripture. Who cares what I say? But, it, but if he's saying it... If you're releasing, if reading it is releasing God into this room, releasing him by the spirit being released. Do you understand that when you abandon the word, you abandon the very thing that God uses to prune you so that you can bear fruit. It's the only thing that prunes me. It's the only thing that cuts me. Let me show you Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive. That's why it's so powerful. 
It's alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit. You know, the Lexington Herald never does that to me. Never. Just usually makes me mad. Cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. Do you see what it's doing? It's releasing God's power into the human heart. I can't tell you how that happens. I can't see that happen, but I can testify it happens. When I read this, when I commit my life to abiding in this, something happens to me. It happens to my heart. It changes me. It creates in me this, I don't know. It just affects me. And if I look around the room tonight, how much time are we, is the, the church is planted to bear this fruit. The fruit comes from our abiding in this. And when you do, something happens. Not because you did it, because he does it. I'm going to read 12 again. The Word of God is alive, powerful, sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It exposes what this book, this Word, it exposes our innermost thoughts. It exposes my desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God when I'm reading this. Everything is naked and exposed before His eyes, and He is the one to whom we are accountable. You're talking about some pruning. That's pruning. God's discipline. Some people would say, well, the pruning is the discipline. The discipline is the pruning. Yes, yes. They are. They're one and the same. That's why I'm offended. I'm being rebuked. I'm being disciplined when I read it. He's adjusting me. He's calibrating me. God's discipline, his pruning isn't to destroy us, but to save us and give you a life of something you cannot do on your own. You can produce some good fruit for the Father. Sin is the natural result of disconnection from the vine. In fact, if you just disconnect yourself, you won't be offended by anything. But your life will produce nothing. Unholiness is the natural result of this disconnection from the vine. Sin prevents the growth of holiness and fruit in our lives. The gardener disciplines us by pruning us, removing the sin that prevents believers from being fruitful. The light always displaces the darkness. The average Christian tonight doesn't recognize the seriousness of sin in your life. But know this from the word of the I am. Sin prevents the growth of holiness. Sin quenches the spirit. And sin destroys your fruit. It destroys it. Don't reject the discipline of the gardener or the painful conviction of his word, but receive it so that your life may produce sweet grapes for the gardener. Much, much, much sweet grapes. Hebrews 12.10. For our earthly fathers, they disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how, but God's discipline, this is that pruning, God's discipline is always good for us so that we might, what? Share in His holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterward, 
There will be a peaceful harvest. There's that fruit again. Afterwards, after he rebukes me, cuts me, purifies me, prunes me. Afterwards, there's a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So take a new grip with your tired hands. I like this verse. Take a new grip. I'm thinking about putting this on my wall. Take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. God's call to the church, the seventh I am. Listen, listen. God's call to the church, especially right now, the seventh I am. Remain in me. No matter what happens in your life, you better hang on to me. You better not get distracted. You better not get caught up in this world stuff. You better not get feeling sorry for yourself because your circumstances aren't what you thought they were going to be. And you better not. You better not let hard times or persecution or suffering or opposition or pain or trials ever make you disconnect from him because he is life. Life. Only there, connected to the I am, will you find any. I'm going to call it glory fruit. Yeah, it's the only place you're going to find glory fruit. You know what glory fruit is? It's the only thing that won't rot between now and heaven. Everything else in your life is going to rot. Notice in Jesus' prayer how important this connection, this abiding, this remaining is. In fact, I, this is one of his final prayers before he goes to the cross. And, and you just tell me how much importance he puts on remaining, remaining, abiding, abiding. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also those who, who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. Anybody see all the abiding going on here? You are in me, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. And may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given to me to be with me where I am. And then they can see all the glory. Oh, my, 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 my. Then they can see all the glory you gave me before, because you loved me even before the world began. And I'm going to ask everybody a question. What is the alternative? What's the alternative? So if the world is, if the distractions of the world pull you away from this connection to the vine, or your troubles in life, you're just not thinking things aren't working out the way you planned, or there's persecution, hardship. Well, you need to count the costs. What is the alternative to this vine abiding life? What if I don't abide? What if I don't remain? You don't want to connect to the vine of the I am? You don't want to abide in here. You don't want to be pruned by this. You don't want to listen or obey or submit yourself to this authority. You don't want to. Well, you don't have to. You ready? You don't have to. I'm telling you the truth. It's, it's the truth. You don't have to. 
But understand this, there will be consequences. The unfruitful, disconnected branches are going to be gathered up and burned in a fire. And nobody, at least in this audience, you're watching online, sorry. You're not going to be able to say, I didn't know. Because you do know. You want to ignore the message from the I am tonight? This is number seven. You can. Yeah, you can. You can go, out, go home tonight and think, well, that doesn't mean anything. Talked about fruit. You can. I'm telling you, there's going to be consequences. Consequences in this life and consequences in the life to come. This life, no glory fruit. Nothing that will survive the grave. Nothing that you will outlive you. Nothing, nothing. Everything's going to rot. Nothing bigger than your own life. The garden has planted, the gardener, excuse me, God the Father, <clears throat> the gardener has planted a vine in Zion. And you and I know for a fact that the vine that the gardener, God the Father, planted in Zion is perfect. His name is Jesus. He planted a vine in Zion. And anyone connected to that vine will bear lasting and forever sweet fruit. So, in the same chapter, I'm just going down a few verses, John 15, 16, Jesus says this. Now, he's just finished this old vine branch thing. And he says this, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I, I got to let that sink in for a second. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you. Now, why did you choose me? The Holy Spirit invited me. No one can come to the Son unless the Father draws him. There was a moment in time in which the Word of God penetrated my heart. And he gave me in that moment eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart that would receive, believe, and obey. I think at that moment I still retained free will, but I chose to receive that as truth. So who initiated the phone call? He did. You didn't choose me, I chose you. Listen, there was never a day in my life that I would have chose God without God first calling me. He started it. If he was wanting to date, I didn't make the first call. He called me. Okay? He called me first. But then he did something. You didn't choose me. I chose you, and I appointed you to do something. What? Bear fruit. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. Now, some people read that and think, well, that's proof that the Bible doesn't work because I asked him for something in Jesus' name and I didn't get it. When you and Jesus are the same, when you become one with Jesus, what you ask for is the same thing that Jesus has asked for already. And yes, you will get it. Yeah, you will. Because everything he asks for, he receives. The I am chose you. Let that sink in for a moment. When I counsel with somebody, especially an unbeliever, somebody maybe coming to infancy and in knowledge of the Word of God, I say, how awesome would it be that the creator of the universe knows your name and calls your name, come? Because we're these little bitty people down here, and he's this great big 
forever God. And this great big forever God says, Terry Cooper. What? That's pretty big. He chose you. He chose you. And then he appointed us to bear fruit. You know what that fruit thing means? He appointed us to have purpose and meaning in our life. Something that's bigger than us. That'll last way beyond the grave. Does fruit matter? Can you judge a tree by its fruit? Before I answer the question, can I say one more time? Do not let the world tell you what the Bible says. Quit letting the world tell you what the Bible says. Why don't you read it? Here's what Jesus says. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. Huh? Is that complicated? A good tree can't produce bad fruit. And a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit. Figs never grow on thorn bushes, nor grapes on bramble bushes. A good person produces good things from where? From the good, from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things where? From the treasury of an evil heart. The heart, the heart, the heart is what's producing the fruit. Where's your heart? Is it connected to the vine? What you say flows from what is in your heart. So, for the thousandth time, if you're struggling with this whole follow me part of Christianity, it's only one reason because you still don't know who he is. Is Jesus the I am, the only uncreated one? What happens to those who refuse to believe and follow the I am? What happens to those who reject the word of the I am? John 15, verses 1 through 3. I am the true grapevine. My father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that it produce even more. You've already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Now I'll go down to verse 6. And anyone who does not remain in me, which tells me right there very simply, you can stop abiding. Don't do it, but you can. Anyone who does not remain in me, who does not abide in me, is thrown away like a useless branch and withers, and such branches are gathered in a pile to be burned. Do I have to tell you what that is? It's called hell. So let's wrap it up. When the world looks at God's vineyard tonight, what does it see? When I look at God's vineyard tonight, I'm going to be honest, I see the apostasy that the Apostle Paul told us was coming. The absolute abandonment of the very foundation of truth. I see the apostasy. The Bible says the holiness of God, the gardener, is so radiant. Have you ever noticed that every time God is shown in the Scriptures, there's, there's glory. That's what's usually the word. It's so glory, glorious. It's so bright you can't look at him. And when Jesus was transfigured on the mountain, his disciples looked at him. He was glowing like the light of the sun. You couldn't look at his glory. Have you ever noticed that it's always glorious, so radiant, you couldn't look directly at him and live? So we began our journey to study and to know the I am. 
his name, his identity, and his purpose some eight weeks ago. We've been traveling through the scripture for eight weeks. With Moses receiving the announcement of the name. You remember? Can y'all remember eight weeks back? He's at a burning bush. And, he, and God says to Moses, I am, I am that I am. I watched Ten Commandments the other last weekend. Did y'all watch it? <laughs> I am that I am. I did sound like that. So we close tonight with another encounter between the I am and Moses. Moses is going to make an unthinkable request to the I am that he met at the burning bush, okay? An unthinkable request. Remember at the burning bush, he's fallen down, scared to death. And now, look at what happens. Exodus 33. By the way, this is one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. One day Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me these, take these people up to the promised land. But you haven't told me who you'll send with me. You have told me, I know you by name and I look favorably on you. And if it is true that you look favorably on me, then let me know your ways so I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember that this nation is your very own people. And the Lord replied to Moses, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest, Moses. Everything will be fine for you, Moses. <laughs> what would that sound like? And then Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. Let that sink in. And let me translate. If you don't go with us, I ain't going. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me? On me and on your people if you don't go with us. For your presence, your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all the other people of the earth. The Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked for. And I look favorably, for I look favorably on you. And I know you, Moses, by name. Moses replied, here comes the unspeakable request. Then show me your glory. Show me your glorious presence. The Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will call out my name, Yahweh, before you. For I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. But you may not look directly at my face, for no one may see me and live the Lord continued, look, stand near me on this rock as my glorious presence passes by. I will hide you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will remove my hand and let you see me from behind. Wow. But my face will not be seen. Here's the reason I put this in the end of the session. The story of Moses and the I am began when he removed his shoes on holy ground at a burning bush. And now, and now, what's happened? What's happened in this time? Now he is in the midst of absolute holiness. So holy is this that when Moses comes away from these scenes, his face is so glowing that everybody's scared to death of him. The glory of God has got on him. 
He's got glory all over him. Now, how did this start on his face, scared to death? Do you know how Moses got there? From those two positions. You know how he got there? In the absolute presence of the holiest of, uh, holiness of the I am. Look at Moses' heart as we look at the answer of this question. Did Moses abide in the life-giving vine of purpose and power of the I am? Look at how there's one point in here, verses 15 through 17. Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone... Know that you look favorably on us, on me, and on your people if you don't go with us. Here comes the point. For your presence among us, this is the church. For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all the other people on the earth. What sets the church apart? His presence, the vine and the branch. This is the description of the unstoppable movement of God called the church. I don't want to go anywhere without him. I don't want anyone to meet me without encountering him. Jesus is who he says he is. He is the bread of life. He is the light of the world. He is the gate, the good shepherd, the resurrection, the life, the way, the truth, the life. And he is the vine. Hang on, you bunch of branches. Hang on. And that leaves the last four sessions. And I will tell you in advance what they're going to be. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to talk about I am and I will. Specifically, every statement that Jesus made in Revelation to the church at Ephesus, Smyrna, and Pergamum. We're going to look at them. And I'm going to tell you in advance, you're going to be blown away. Because I was too. When Jesus specifically says, I will. And when he says, I will. He will. So you know what's coming. And the next week it'll be Thyatira, and then we'll deal with Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And guess what the last one, number 12, is? He's going to tell us about the end. And you'll know how this whole, thing's end. The whole thing ends because he is, I am. Father, thank you for your word. May it prune us tonight. May it shape us from the inside out into the likeness of your glorious Son, in Jesus' name. And amen. Thank you all.